good to be with you all this evening. Please turn your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Um, we're going to be talking about anger today as we talk and begin to discuss managing our emotions. And there are some books that I want to recommend to you. Uh, one, there's a book that's called Untangling Your Emotions. Uh, it's a great book uh, just describing that our emotions are a gift from God, but they shouldn't control us. They shouldn't lead us into sin, but they do indicate what's going on in our heart. Untangling Emotions by Alistair Groves and Winston Smith. And then my favorite book that ta- discusses anger is Uprooting Anger by Robert D. Jones. Uh, he is a seminary professor uh, in uh, North Carolina. He does a great job. I'm going to be referring to him quite a bit. He has a great definition of anger. And then Ed Welch uh, has a book called A Small Book About a Big Problem, and it deals with anger, patience, and peace. And it's uh, little short devotionals each day that I would say are like mini homework assignments that just would help you as you um, deal with anger in your life. Anger is the emotion that says something I love is under threat. This emotion is so common in our society and it typically gets masked with different terms. I'm frustrated, I'm irritated, I'm annoyed. People always try to avoid saying the term anger, that they're angry. They want to mask it. But it is a universal problem that's prevalent in our culture and in each and every generation. No one, and I mean no one, is detached from this presence or immune from its poison. Anger, at its best, it communicates a protective love for what God loves. It delights in relationships and peoples and structures of justice and beauties of creation and material blessings that God has given us. It targets anything that would divide us from God or from one another. But at its worst, anger declares this ultimatum. Obey my law and my will or suffer the consequences. That is anger. Let's go ahead and read Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. I'm going to be bouncing around uh, in the scriptures today, but this is um, one of the best passages if I were to counsel someone to uh, talk about specifically anger. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. This is what the Word of God says. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work in his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption." And verse 31 just describes different facets of anger. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. What are some examples of anger? 
let's say uh, you have a teen and you're having a conversation with them. Uh, You're asking them, have they done their homework? And they shoot back on you. I have done it. Uh, Can you just stay off my case? Leave me alone. The parent, when they hear this, is boiling over. And naturally, the backhand just comes out and you connect with your child's face. Okay? That smacking was a result of the defiance of the teenager. Or a wife and husband are in an argument. One person is unable to follow the other person. You see, they're discussing maybe something about finances. And the wife has to repeat something a second time. But when she repeats it a second time, she says under her breath, Again, she might not be explosive, but she says under your breath, you're too stupid to follow this conversation. No wonder we can't get along as, like we used to. Or another example is a boss is feeling pressure at work because last quarter's numbers were low. I mean, we are in a pandemic. Everyone knows the economy is tank, but no one knows how long it's going to take to turn around. So his criticism and his sarcasm, they fill the work environment, and in his words, they're motivational. Or what is common for us is when we are driving, that driver cuts you off. Or, as we've got to experience so many times uh, this winter, you're shoveling the apron of your driveway, and then just comes down the snowplow and pushes all the icy snow Back on your driveway. These are examples of how we display anger. Anger is the instinct to punish or attack whatever we perceive as wrong. And it separates friends and families, uh, in-laws, people in general. Anger most of the time is ungodly and destructive. Dictionary.com defines it as a strong feeling of displeasure aroused by a wrong. Uh, Counselor Tim Keeter says this, a strong feeling of displeasure aroused by a sense of injustice that provokes action. The best definition of anger, and I'm going to read it to you, is from the book Uprooting Anger by Robert D. Jones, and it says this, our anger is a whole person active response of a negative moral judgment against a perceived evil. Again, yes, it's a technical one. I'm going to say it again and explain it to you because I think it is the best one and captures all the facets of anger. It is a whole person active response of a negative moral judgment against perceived evil. First, it's an active response. It is an action, an activity. Anger is something that we do. It's not something that we have. And this is important for us to grasp uh, that it's not something that we just have, but it's something that we do. Because if we don't define it in these terms, then we can say it can have full control over us because I was just born this way. It's just hereditary how it is. But in fact, as we're going to discuss later, this is an action. This is something that we are responding to something. It is an active response. It's displaying that something we value is under threat. And I believe with God's help, we can begin to untangle our anger and pursue Christ's righteousness. It's a whole person response. Anger compromises both our body and soul. You see, um, psychologists 
and other um, secular uh, people uh, will prescribe solutions to anger, such as count to 10 or breathing techniques or exercise. What this fails to do, though, is get to the root of why you are angry. Okay, you can give me count to 10 uh, when my child is disrespectful to me, but it doesn't say, why am I so mad? It doesn't say what's going on, what's provoking me to be um, explosive. Anger is not just something that is a chemical imbalance in your brain. Anger is something that is uh, coming out from your heart. It is a whole person, and it's a response against It's against something. It doesn't come out of thin air. Something has happened. Here's the key. In all these emotions, they are a response to something we believe or value. Something that we love is either threatened in the case of anger. Um, We are feared it's going to be taken away. Maybe when we talk about anxiety and worry. Our emotions display what we value and what we love. Anger, again, says something that we value is under threat, and I must stop it from happening. And then it is a negative moral judgment. Anger says what you did is wrong. Stop it right now. It's called negative, not necessarily because it's sinful, as we read in the passage, because you can be angry and not sin. But I would say that this rare is a case with us. But it's responding against something negative. And it's a perceived evil. This is what happens. Anger will perceive some action is evil. And whether it's evil or not is where we're going to figure that out. Remember, the teenager, they backtalked their parents. And their parents reacted because of this and smacked them. So what was the active response? They slapped him. Whole person, it hurt their heart that their teenager, the one that they if it was the mom carried in their womb, the one that they feed, they clothe, the one that they take care of, wouldn't respect them or value their authority. And they were responding against their child being disrespectful, which was the perceived evil. And their negative moral judgment was, how dare you? Now, we need to talk about the self-deception of anger because too often, especially in our society, I think we try to justify our anger and say that it's okay. Turn with me to Jonah chapter 4, verse uh, 1. Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. You see, Jonah had gone and declared to the Ninevites um, that they must repent Uh, that this city, they must repent or God is going to destroy them. And at the end of verse uh, 10 of chapter 3, we see that God relented from the disaster that he was going to do uh, against the Ninevites. And verse 1 of chapter 4 says this, Jonah's response, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was angry. And what did he do in his anger? And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. Notice there, there's a reason to his anger. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than 
to live. Verse 3 is so manipulative. Because God saved the Ninevites, Jonah is angry that God would ever do that. That is his response. But what's God's response back to him? Verse 4, and the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah, is it all right for you to be angry with what I am doing? Do you do well to be angry? And then God goes into, I would say, an illustration uh, with a plant. He puts a plant over Jonah's head to cover him from the burning sun that is there. Um, And Jonah is happy, obviously, because his head isn't getting burnt. But then the plant is shriveled up, and he is burnt by the sun, and he's angry. And what God is trying to basically say is, I've created the people. Don't I have a right to offer my forgiveness? You see, righteous anger is this. Righteous anger reacts against actual sin. Righteous anger focuses on God and his kingdom, his rights and concerns. And righteous anger is self-controlled. Most of the time, our anger is not righteous because it's not reacting against actual sin or it's not focusing on God, his kingdom, his rights, and his concerns. And lastly, most of the time, our anger is not necessarily self-controlled. It is not necessarily in the place where we are honoring God with what's happening. Most of the time, our anger is sinful, and it can show up in one of two ways— Either we blow up, we're like a volcano, or we clam up and we kind of shrivel in bitterness and we kind of stew. Let me give you an example of a couple. Um, I made these names up, but I do know them. Lou and Kate have anger problems. Lou, the husband, clams up, but Kate, the wife, blows up. Lou will stew and spew will, while Kate will rant and rave. It's a Wednesday night, and Kate is a nurse who has a stressful job, especially since it's during the pandemic. Lou, her husband, happens to be working from home now, and on Wednesday nights, he, she asks him, can you please get dinner ready so that we can come in eat dinner, and then head off to church, okay? She's coming from uh, the hospital. She wants to get dinner ready. Well, Lou forgot today. Um, And he was not ready when his wife, who was exhausted from a stressful day, walked back into the home. Uh, And she asked him, what's going on? What have you been doing? Oh, I'm sorry. I just lost track of time. What do you mean you lost track of time? You don't have to drive off to work. Didn't you get my text messages that were there? And so she keeps going on and on. But again, now she's angry. Now she's got to dig. I mean, you only had one thing to do. Just put the food in the oven. I had already prepared it in the morning. Just do that. Well, Lou in his mind is just stewing. Oh, this woman, all she does is nag, 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 nag. He doesn't say it out loud, but he's doing. She keeps going, though. Okay, well, you don't have dinner. Do you at least think um, they try to now run out to Chick-fil-A, but again, any night of the week, as you guys know, the line is going so far down that they can't get a meal. So now they are furious. And Lou is sick and tired of his wife's 
criticism. And under his breath, he says, I just wish I had a wife that cared, who wasn't so critical and nagging. I'm going to get her back. Oh, yes, I'm going to get her back later. Two examples of people who are demonstrating anger. One blows up, Kate, but one stews and spews, which is Lou. Now, we have to get to the root of why they are angry. What's taking the toll? See, when you, from a society's perspective, they'll give theories of why this anger may persist and why this may blow up. Some people would say, maybe Lou, um, he gets like this passive aggressive because he had an abusive father or unmet emotional needs or psychological issues. Or maybe for Kate, obviously, fatigue and suffering and stress from being a nurse and dealing with the carnage at the hospital. Um, Other people would say maybe it's her time of the month. These are all reasons why she's angry and it's justified. But Robert D. Jones, he says this on his book. The Bible, of course, recognizes many of these hardships and speaks to them with compassion and robust insight. There are certainly... Um, evil that happens. Our outer man is decaying. Illnesses, hormonal changes hamper us and become occasions for sin. In our fallen world, people past and present do hurt us and abuse us. Moreover, the Bible recognizes that such factors can exert enormous impact. They tempt and provoke, making anger easier to develop and in control. But every wise counselor, he says, will know that provocations are are not causes. They can impact, but they don't cause the anger. You have to get to the root of anger. There is a reason why in certain circumstances you respond in anger because something you love or value is threatened. Turn with me to James chapter 4, verse 1. This is um, a great passage, and I would say it just gets to the root of what's going on. James chapter 4, verse 1. James says this, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You see, um, the NASB will translate this. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage in your members. That word pleasures is we get the uh, word hedonism from. Okay, the fleshy desires. And the word wage war In the Greek, we'll get the word strategy. So if you get this, you see, what are the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source, the hedonism, the fleshy pleasures in your life that are strategizing in your members? Okay, what's going on? Our heart wants to be number one. When I'm not getting what I want, I'm frustrated. I'm angry. Anger responds And it wants to, and you see later in the passage, he'll talk about 
murder. It's, it's so um, explosive. Here's how I would explain it to someone as you're looking at a scenario. It's this. You have a desire that becomes a demand, and when it's unmet, it leads to destruction. So desire first here. I would really like to have, and this is what happens in our life, they can be good things. It's good to want respect from your spouse or from your child, but then they become demands I must have this in order to be happy. So demands could, I must be happy. I must have respect. I must have a life free of difficulty and pain. I must have children who do blank. I must have a spouse who does this. Now what happens when those demands are not met? You didn't have your desire met. And when it's unmet, it feels like you've been wronged, but you've been taken advantage of which leads to destruction, where you either, in these cases, you'll lash out, you'll yell and give a piece of your mind, or you'll pout and sulk, you'll run away or quit, you'll be stubborn and uncooperative, or you'll be bitter and hold a grudge against you. In that example earlier, your spouse is being lazy around the house and not willing to do any house chores. The desire Good desire, I would like some help, okay? Becomes a demand. I demand to be appreciated, respected, considered. Becomes a disappointment. Your spouse ignores you and continues, in this case, it's the husband, he's watching either CNN or Fox, and he turns the TV up louder when you're making your demands, which turns into destruction where the wife goes and turns off the TV or she tries to make a call to the cable company to cut the TV service, okay? Or it could be this, and this is a um, dicey one. You're talking to a fellow Christian and they have different political views than you, okay? This desire, I would like to have my friends believe in the same path I believe for America. Now this becomes a demand. I must have total agreement. Disappointment. How are you disappointed? I can't believe they would be a Christian and take this political position, which becomes destruction in our cancel culture. I'm going to blitz them with articles that show my viewpoint. I'm going to comment on their social media, and we are going to be like literally little kids and go back and forth responding back to each other. Oh, I'm going to have my friends pile on them. This is anger. Okay, let me get to a more complicated issue. Your son is playing a sport. Let's say it's soccer, and the coach has not been playing your son as much as you think. You've been practicing with your son, and you believe that they deserve to be uh, in the game right now. But you're not going to explode because you want to keep your Christian testimony. So you're not going to be one of those parents, Hey, coach, put him in the game right now! You're not going to do that, okay? You don't want to, you know, social media. You don't want to be one of those parents, not you. But you simmer, and you're just boiling, and you're sitting there. You're just pacing back and forth on the soccer field. This coach, oh my goodness, he doesn't understand what he is doing. And you're pointing out the flaws where then it comes to, again, 
You're not going to be like the other parents, but it's time for the email. Oh, the glorious emails that come. And you go into writing your uh, 10-page essay about the coach and how they are terrible at man management or tactics, and you give them a piece of your mind. They don't, um, and so what happens, here's what happens. You would say your anger may be justified. My desire, I would like my son to be successful. My demand, well, he needs to be successful because he needs to get a scholarship. But then, underneath it, what else do we find out? Why does he need a scholarship so bad? Well, things are going difficult at work right now. You don't know if you're going to have your job in the next week. So you kind of add that pressure on top of this. Okay? Um, if this doesn't work out and he doesn't get the scholarship, you don't know how he's going to be able to go off to college and his future may be ruined. It becomes a disappointment. He's not playing. It's going to jeopardize not only your son's future, but your future as well. And so your destruction is the mean email, or it could be shortness with your kids at home. You see, when it comes to anger, it always kind of spills into other areas. Uh, It always, it reveals so many things about your heart and what's going inside there. It reveals what you desire. None of us are immune from this. None of us can say, and again, we have to recognize that and this is a key, how do we solve it? We have to admit that we get angry. We have to stop saying, I'm dismayed, I'm frustrated, I'm bothered, I'm disappointed. No, we have to call this sin for what it is. I am angry. I am angry with what's going on, and it can look in different ways. Ephesians 4.31, it could be bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor, or it can be malice. If you're bitter, you're bitter about not getting a raise at work. You're bitter about slaving away at work and not getting credit for what you deserve. You're just bitter or you're clamoring. You're, you're shutting off people because you don't like what they have posted. You don't like to be around it. So you're just clamming up together because oh, you can't stand them right now or slandering. You're speaking evil of them behind their back, especially destroying their reputation or malice, even to this point, you're wishing evil be upon them. We have to understand this. Sinful anger displeases God. Psalm 37, 8. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. Or, Proverbs 14, 29. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding but whoever has a hasty temper exalts folly. It's foolishness. We should desire that our lives be a living sacrifice, that we would be holy and acceptable to God. We should make it our ambition to please Christ, to live in light of his grace in our lives. So we need to, when we see anger in our lives, confess it. Second, after admitting that you do have anger in your life, you need to analyze the trigger points. What this is saying is this question. What's the big thing that I want so much that I'm willing to get angry about? What am I willing to blow up about? What am I very bitter about? Okay, here's the thing. I'm going to be very honest with you. 
Amanda and I, you guys know Amanda. Um, if there is an argument with us, if there is any problems in our marriage, I would say 99.5% of the time it's my fault. Okay? And I'm not just saying why, because at anger I realize I'm just stinking selfish. Seriously, I'm just selfish. And if I realize my desire is to please God first and to serve my wife and then put myself down here, most of the times the thing I get angry about are inconsequential. They don't mean anything. It's like, am I really getting mad about that? Oh, you burnt the toast. Really? Like I'm going to throw a, a hissy fit over that? Like seriously? I think at times when we understand our trigger points and we actually talk to ourselves, that's something I actually try to do. Why? Here's the thing with trigger points. Why am I getting angry right now? What is causing that? Super Bowl happened. Uh, The Chiefs were playing terrible. I turned off the TV and went to bed. Why am I getting angry now? Because my team's bad. Well, why does it matter? Oh, well, I probably put them too high in my life, and they become an idol, so I'm giving emotions to something that I should do. So do I really have a reason to be mad about a game where people are chasing a ball? Hmm, Lawrence, let's think about that. No, Like, when we analyze it, most of the times, the things we get angry about aren't right. Or, if there is justification to be angry about it, my response has to be in a godly way. But back to our trigger points, anger can result from a desire that I must have, and I'm just going to list off some things. Someone interrupts your schedule— Um, especially for teachers, those that are very organized. I know this frustrates you. Uh, Maybe it's being respected and appreciated, being loved and accepted, be understood and listened to, making my own decisions, planning my future, being successful in my job or my family, my church, affirmation from an employer, just having a good life without pain and things. These things, again, some of them I listed aren't necessarily evil, but when they become demands that I must have this, and if I don't have this, then I will, then you realize they've become an idol. They've taken the place of God in your life. You see, if Christ is our life, he's all we need. We don't need the approval or things of this world if Christ is our life. How else do we respond to anger? Besides admitting that we are angry and analyzing our trigger points, well, we need to treat it with grace and leave it to God. You see, back to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, we need to forgive one another just as God, as Christ, forgave you. Here's the thing we need to understand. We are first sinners and secondly, sinned against. This is important. We are first sinners, and secondly, sinned against. That means when I approach a situation, I'm deeply aware of how forgiven uh, God, how much God has forgiven me of. It means that I am not the center of the universe, and the primary goal in this situation is not to glorify Lawrence, but to glorify God. You see, too often we are aware of other people's sins, but we don't look in the mirror. We don't get the log that is out of our eye before we look at the splinter in someone else's eyes. 
So when I interact or when you interact with your spouse, your child, your coworkers, even your in-laws, you have to recognize that you have a lot of sin in your life. And take time to reflect on this. Just as God also forgave you in Christ, this should cause us to think that how blessed am I? And then he gives us the second element. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Means you don't carry this angry burden with you. God has promised to do that. He's promised that you can lay your head on the pillow and he's going to take care of it. Uh, and sometimes, again, most of the times I recognize my anger is wrong, but when there is a time where it is attacking God's kingdom, his rights, his people, you have to look at Romans chapter 12 where it says, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And Paul goes on to say in verse 19 and 20, Beloved, here's a key for us, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, this is key, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Here's the thing that has been a great relief to me. God is going to be the judge. And he is an impartial judge. A way better judge than, my, than I could ever be because he's sinless. So if my spouse is doing something and irritating me, I don't have to be the one to judge because God is ultimately going to take care of it in his time. I have to answer to him and I have to serve him, but I have to recognize that he's going to execute his justice in his time. We can live free of this burden of always trying to fix problems on our own because we know that God is working on our behalf. We are to repay no one evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. At its root, anger is pride. Anger is saying that I am number one and you need to bow down to me. You see, when we are talking about all these emotions, they're going to point to what is at the root and what we love and desire. And in your lives, as you're interacting with your spouses and your friends and your family members, I pray that you would recognize and you would admit that you do have angry moments in your life. And you would analyze your trigger points and see, are these really making God number one or is it making me number one? And that you would be willing to repent and forgive and let love cover a multitude of sins because you've been forgiven of so much. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you so much for just being allowed to bring your word today. I pray that it, it was clear, Lord, and I, as we go into this week and we deal with anger in our lives, Lord, that we would admit that we all wrestle with anger in our lives. We all wrestle when things we love are under threat, not responding in them, responding to it. But Lord, I pray that you would give us a spirit of peace, of joy, of humility, recognizing, Lord, that you have forgiven us of much and we should also forgive others. And when there are wrongs that are unjust, Lord, uh, we pray that we would leave it to your wrath, 
that we'd let you be the one to take care of it, that we would respond in humility and grace. We thank you for this day. In Jesus' name, amen.